Welcome to Revival from the Bible, a daily devotional podcast designed to help more people get into God's Word and get more out of the Word. I'm Ben Blakey. It's Tuesday, December 21st, 2021. The Bible is full of military imagery that it uses to describe the Christian life or to put on this armor. Uh, We're waging war. And it uses that imagery because there are a lot of similarities between the Christian life and warfare. We are engaged of warfare of a kind. But one thing we need to understand is there is a big difference between the Christian life and warfare, and that is we are not called to actually wage war in the sense that we are advancing the kingdom of God through warfare, through military advancement, or through violent means. Uh, That's not to say that no one has ever tried to do that in the name of Christ, but when that has been done, we have to admit we start to stray from what we really see in the scriptures and ultimately in the example of Jesus and the example of the apostles. And we see a little bit of that today as we look again at Jesus as he talks to Pilate. In John 18, 33 through 40. So Pilate is talking to Jesus and he asks him, really, the accusation, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, do you say this of your own accord or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Now look at what Jesus says here. My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I may not that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from this world. Right? Jesus's kingdom is not some nation on planet earth, and the church is meant to be this organization amidst all the nations. And Jesus is making it clear, "Hey, I'm not here to assert this will through military at this time, although Revelation, we see Jesus comes back on a war horse. But now what we see for him and the example of the apostles was not advancing the kingdom through armed conflict. Now, that is not to say that all Christians should be pacifists, right? Because we still live in nations. We still might have responsibilities to our nations, to our loved ones, to serve in a way, you know, through military as many great Christian men and women have, you know, throughout the centuries served uh, their countries in that way. What we're not saying that Christians should not do that. What we're saying is the church is not a, a military thing and we don't advance the gospel through military. But how do we advance it? And that's really what we get to when uh, Jesus continues to talk to him and Pilate says, so you are a king. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose, I was born. And for this purpose, I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? And there, I mean, how many people in our society today would basically say the same thing as Pilate? What is truth? But as Christians, that is the war that we are called to fight, the war of truth, that we should be the ones proclaiming the truth of who God is, the truth of what Jesus has done, the truth really that we see in Scripture. And so we want to be faithful soldiers declaring the truth because that is really what our 
commander has called us to do. So things to think through on, on your own end, do you know the truth? Are you able to give a defense for the hope that is in you? Are you declaring the truth to anybody? And even just personally, are you holding on to the truth for yourself or are you letting the lies of the world start to dominate your thinking, dominate your feelings, and really guide you in your life? No, there is a war going on. And in many ways, it's a war of ideas. And as Christians, we need to hold on to God's word and advance that uh, both for ourselves, for the sake of our own souls, and for the sake of those around us, advancing the truth of God's word. And even as we think through this conflict, right, we know how ultimately the story is going to end. God will return, Jesus will return, and everything will be made right. And we're going to see a couple things that help us think more about that. First, we will go to Micah, chapters 1 through 4. And Micah gives us some context for his ministry in the very first verse. It says that he came in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, who were kings of Judah. And it talks about prophecy that he has concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. And so Samaria would have really um, been the capital, the idea of the northern kingdom of Israel, and Jerusalem, the southern kingdom of Judah. And we see right early on that destruction is coming. Hear you peoples, all of you, pay attention, O earth, and all that is in it, and let the Lord God be a witness against you, the Lord from his holy temple. For behold, the Lord is coming out of his place and will come down and tread upon the high places of the earth, and the mountains will melt under him, and the valleys will split open like wax before the fire, like waters poured down a steep place." All this for the transgression of Jacob and for the sins of the house of Israel. And then he goes on to describe their sins, but it describes the judgment of God. And in the midst of these chapters, uh, talking about judgment, chapter 3 really focuses again on those that were in positions of leadership, whether that was political leadership or spiritual leadership through the prophets. But chapter 4 kind of shifts and gives a little bit more of a positive vision, again, of what God will do for just his own namesake, his own kingdom. It says, it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains, and it shall be lifted up above the hills, and peoples shall flow to it. And many nations shall come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his paths, right? This future day, this picture of everyone turning to God, and even the judgment will be over. And speaking of warfare, it will be over. As it says in verse three, they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore, but they shall sit every man under his own vine and under his fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. His own vine and fig tree, those are images really of peace and prosperity. But what we see, where's this going to come from? Verse 5, for all the peoples walk each in the name of its God, but we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. Right? That should be a takeaway we get from this in Micah today as we think through the war that goes on in our world, in our uh, culture, even this war of ideas, this spiritual war that is going on. We know how it will end. So we will say, 
we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. We are committed to him. And that should also be bolstered by what we see as we finish Revelation 17, 7 through 18, uh, those verses. Because what we see is more of this vision of this great prostitute, and then there's, um, you know, these horns and heads. And what we see is really, we're talking about different kings. And again, it might be difficult to identify, okay, what specific kings are these talking about? It might still be kings that are yet to come. Um, so we might not know who they are yet, but we see what their plans are. Verse 14, they will make war on the lamb and the lamb will conquer them for he is Lord of lords and king of kings. And those with him are called and chosen and faithful, right? All the kings of the earth and even all these spiritual powers, you think of the the beast or the antichrist, they will not stand a chance against Jesus Christ. And so that's where we make it our aim, like we saw in Micah, we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. No matter what persecution may come, no matter what difficulties may come, we will follow him because he will ultimately win. But we also see something of just the goodness of God that should encourage us today as we look at Psalm 145 verses 8 through 14. And these first verses are very powerful as they just say, the Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all that he has made. And so even as we see these depictions of the judgment of God, it's good to be reminded the Lord is slow to anger. God didn't rush to any of those judgments. God has literally given people thousands of years to repent and to turn to him. And also, we should be personally encouraged in just verse 14, the Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down, that we can be encouraged by him, we can be strengthened by him today, and we can live this life of declaring the truth and following him today, not in our own strength, but because the Lord, our God, upholds us. Thanks for digging into God's word with me today on Revival from the Bible. For more resources, check out revivalfromthebible.com. To learn more about Compass Bible Church Treasure Valley, go to compassbible.tv, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you.